Well, now that you got a little review of last week's scripture, <laughs> we focused on the experience that Moses had hearing God's voice out of the burning bush. And we highlighted how Moses gave numerous excuses why he is just not the person to do this incredible task of leading the people out of Egypt. We contrasted how Moses saw his own flaws and weaknesses and inadequacies, and yet God saw him with his life experience as the perfect person to lead the people out of Egypt. Now that he knew the Egyptian language, now that he knew the ways of the Egyptians. And we invited you to look at yourselves as God looks at you, just as he looked at Moses. We also talked about how leadership can be defined as influence. And when we see leadership as primarily influence, that means that all of us can be leaders in certain ways. It's not just reserved for, for those special people who are charismatic and, and full of great skill, but we often lead in small ways. So this day, I'd like to focus a little bit more on those daily opportunities we have to lead in our lives. Now, the scripture started, the right scripture, started with the fact that a new king arose over Egypt. Adam Hamilton points out that we don't know for sure, but it seems that the circumstances seem to fit within the Egyptian history when the Hiskos came out from the Near East and took over the lower Nile Delta of Egypt. They settled there and they ruled over Egypt as pharaohs during that time. They were Near Eastern people that are Semitic people that shared some things in common with the Hebrews. They were shepherds and farmers. They looked somewhat alike. And so it would not be unusual, it would not be surprising when Joseph was appointed to be a part of that royal court and, and serve in that government. But then from 1550 to 1525 B.C., a new king arose over Egypt, Amos I. He united the upper and lower parts of Egypt, and he drove out the Hiskos, but he allowed the Israelites to stay. Now, it's kind of interesting that, even though he differentiated in that way, that there seemed to be enough similarities. And, and how often this is true in history, where because somebody looks like somebody, we group them into one race and one understanding. And so, as it says, that the operative word that existed with the Pharaoh that time, this Pharaoh almost the first, was fear. He feared the Israelites might join up with the Hiskos once again, or they might join up with other enemies. And so he began to oppress them, and so started this act of genocide, which is described in our scriptures today. When we see this, we see so much that repeats in history. Adam Hamilton suggests that the story of Moses' birth is not just a story to be heard, but sometimes it tells the truth that exists and happens in our lives, in our history, both in the world and in the United States. Adam Hamilton points out some of the uh, times in our history in which we have made that 
problem of seeing people and grouping all persons because of their skin color or whatever. He gives examples of how we've struggled to live up to what our Statue of Liberty represents. In the mid-1800s, when the Irish was flooding the United States because of famine in that land, there rose up the American Party, which came to be known as the Know-Nothing Party. Their mantra was that the Pope has sent the Irish to come and take over America. We could recall the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 that ruled for the next 60 years no Chinese would be allowed into our country. We could talk about the rise of the KKK that worked to try to deny the equality of African Americans in our country. We could recall what happened in World War II when we went to war with Japan and how we grouped all Asians in that category, even if they'd been long-term citizens of our country, had even served in our armed forces, all, many of them were interned in California and other places. This past week at the Leadership Summit, we heard the story of a survivor of the genocide that happened in 1994 when one million Tutsu tribe members were killed by the Hutu nation, one million. And, of course, we could recall the Nazi atrocities that happened that grouped all persons who were not of the Aryan race and killed millions of people. I won't even start into what's happening in Charlottesville, Virginia right now, but it seems that hate seems to rise once again, that grouping of people into categories that denies them the right to be children of God. The Hebrews had not rebelled. They had been faithful workers, and yet they were grouped, and all newborn males were to be cast into the Nile River. So I hope that when we hear this story, it not just ends up being a biblical story, but it allows to be our story, that we look at ourselves and make sure that whenever we practice that fear of the stranger, which we call xenophobia, that we put that in check and realize that all people are God's people. Now, Moses gets most of the press in this story of Exodus. Moses is the one we hear about, but there's some unsung heroes in our story as we examine and look at it. I mean, how many of you have a biblical name? Mark, Matthew, Luke, Deborah, Hannah, Mary. Yeah, a lot of biblical names. Are any of you named Shipra or Pua? Yeah, they kind of get lost and forgotten. Or, Or another one, Moses' mother. We don't hear her name mentioned until the sixth chapter of Exodus. Jochebed. We don't hear that one either. These names don't seem very important to us. And yet, stop and think, without Shipra and Pua and Jochebed, what happens to Moses? There is no Moses. And then what is God going to do to free the Israelites and take them out of Egypt? Because Moses obviously was the perfect person for that job. But without Shipra and Pua and Jochebed, there is no Moses. I hope you're inspired by this behind-the-scenes leadership that we see in these three women. These persons whose courage is, is not unlike what we saw for those who hid the Jewish people 
during World War II and the Nazi Holocaust. You know, I have a fascination with movies and books about injustice. There's something about them that, that moves me. Stories like Schindler's List or Remember the Titans. That still might be my favorite movie. Or the book The Help, which was also turned into the movie. Or Twelve Years a Slave, The Diary of Anne Frank, or Night by Eli Weisel. There's something about that that makes me want to put myself in that time and ask myself, what would I do? What if I was put in that tough spot where I had to stand up for someone else, even if it might cost me my life, what would I do? You know, a few weeks ago, I was getting ready to play some tennis, and we were starting to move to the court we usually play on, and one of the my players said, hey, why don't we think about moving over here a little closer to the parking lot? And I'm thinking, well, what's the problem? He goes, I got some valuable stuff in, in my car, and there's a couple bros playing basketball over there. And I looked over there, and all I saw was two guys playing basketball. And I thought, what? And all I said was, I think we'll be just fine. We can play where we usually play. And then I just kind of shook my head because I realized what a racist comment that was. The only reason he made that statement because, was because of the color of their skin. He didn't mean anything by it. He wasn't trying to be mean. He was, it just came out very naturally. So I shook it off, came home, and I shared the story with my wife. And she said, well, Jerry, did you say something? And I said, no, I just don't feel like I've got that kind of relationship with them. And she said, Jerry, if you don't confront that, who will? And you know, I hate it when my wife is right. <laughs> but if I can't confront in times like that, how would I ever think that could be someone that, in those stories that inspire me? But you know, it's in those small ways of leadership that really determines who we are and what we'll do. And, and that's where I find this story very powerful. Because while our world has kind of forgotten the shipras and the puas that are behind the scenes that don't get all the credit, God remembers them. God does not forget what they've done. God remembers shipra and pua. And we live in a world that tends to want to lift up the celebrities and those who get all that credit. But our God remembers every contribution to his eternal purposes. And we find that theme over and over again. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12. Just a couple of those verses says it powerfully. The parts of the body that people think are the weakest are the most necessary. And it says, but God has put the body together giving greater honor to the part with less honor. And what about the story where Jesus is in the temple in that last week of his life? And that widow, who is obviously very poor, puts two small copper coins in that offering. And Jesus stops and calls everybody's attention to it and says, She has done more than anyone else. God sees all these contributions. And somehow, in his amazing and powerful way, he puts those things together for his lasting and eternal purposes. That's what he did with Shipra and Pua. Without them, there is no Moses. Drew Dudley says this about leadership. 
And I've come to realize that we have made leadership into something bigger than us, something beyond us. We've made it about changing the world. We've taken this title of leader and treated it as something that one day we're going to deserve. But to give it to ourselves right now means a level of arrogance or cockiness that we're not comfortable with. And I worry sometimes that we spend so much time celebrating amazing things that hardly anybody can do that we've convinced ourselves those are the only things we're celebrating. We start to devalue the things we can do every day. We take moments where we are truly a leader and we don't let ourselves take credit for it or feel good about it. Adam Hamilton points out that sometimes those little simple things make all the difference in the world. He shares a story in his book about Moses that one Sunday at the end of church, he had gone to the back with the benedictions given, and he saw a gentleman that got up out of his seat and was starting to head out. And so he kind of caught up to him and tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm so glad that you came to worship today. And the guy seemed a little embarrassed. He kind of quickly acknowledged it and then went on out the door. Adam Hamilton didn't think much about it, but three days later he got this note. I want to thank you for running after me following worship this weekend and for stopping to talk to me. I've been going through a difficult time in my personal life recently, and a friend strongly urged me to come to your church. I sat there in the service, and I felt like you were speaking to me. But as I was leaving, I thought, this is such a big church. They couldn't care about me. Choking back the tears, I rushed off, anticipating I would beat everyone else out. Then right before I got to the door, I felt someone tap me on the shoulder. I turned around and could not believe it was you. In a service with over 2,000 people in attendance, you saw me, ran after me, and stopped me. I'm sorry I was rude and turned away. I was so utterly astounded that you had tapped me on the shoulder to thank me for coming. Have you ever had that opportunity in church? So many times we never know that our contribution is what could change somebody's life. Drew Dudley tells us that we can plan to matter. And he shares a couple of pieces of advice for us when we think about our reluctant leadership. He says to never say just about anything. And we do that, don't we? I'm just starting out. I'm just a part-timer. I'm just the new person. I'm just a junior staffer. I'm just an assistant. I'm just a middle manager. I'm just one person. Or we could say, I'm just a lay person or whatever. And he says when we do that, we are minimizing our contribution. And we're trying to lower the expectations, not only from what others might expect, but what we expect out of ourselves. So wipe that language from your, from your speech. We're not just anything. And then he gives six questions that we should ask ourselves every day. One would be, what have I done today that will help someone feel something? What have I done today to make it more likely I will learn something? And what have I done today to make it more likely someone else will learn something? Have I said something positive 
about someone to their face today? Have I said something positive about someone when they aren't in the room today? And what have I done to be good to myself? He says two of those questions are about adding value to your life, which enriches you to be able to add to someone else's life. But four of those are about enriching and adding value to someone else's life. He says if we did that every day, you realize how many value-added opportunities that would be in a year? Over 2,000. So I invite you to consider that contribution. Why don't you pull out your lollipops, these little dumb, dumb lollipops. I, sorry they aren't a little bigger, but this is all I could afford. So <laughs> I want to close with a story about lollipop. I shared this story with a couple gatherings of our leaders, and I just think it's too good to waste it just on them. This is told by Drew Dudley, and it changed the way he looked at leadership. It caused him to write a book about everyday leadership. He says it's about a person, a young woman came up to him. It was about the time he was going to be leaving the university he was at, which is the Mount Allison University in Sackville, New Brunswick in England. And the young lady came up to him and said, I, I, I need to tell you something. I want you to know that you really made a difference in my life. You see, four years ago, I was sitting in a hotel room with my parents the night before we were coming for registration to start university. And I was convinced that I couldn't handle college. It just wasn't going to be my thing. And I told my parents that. And, and so they, they said to me, okay, we understand you're afraid. How about we just go tomorrow, see how it goes, and if any time during the day you decide you can no longer do it, we'll go home, okay? So they did. Got a good night's sleep, got up the next day, got in line for registration. She says, I'm looking around, and I, I'm just feeling that this is just not what I need to be doing right now. And when I make that decision, I just feel this peace come over me. And I just start to turn to tell my parents that I'm ready to go home. When you come bursting through that, the door and you got this stupidest hat I've ever seen in my life on, and you've got a bucket full of lollipops, and you're handing them out and you're talking about Shinerama, which was a fundraiser for cystic fibrosis. And you came up to me and you stopped and stood right at me and you just stared at me for the longest time. It was really creepy. <laughs> and, and then you looked at the student that was standing next to me and you pulled out a lollipop and you handed it to him and said, you need to give this lollipop to that beautiful woman standing next to you. He said, that, that gentleman grew beet red and put his head down and just kind of handed it to me like this. I felt so sorry for him. But I took the lollipop. And then you looked at me with the most severe look. And then you turned and said to my parents, Look, it's the first day of school and she's already accepting candy from a stranger. <laughs> and she said, Everybody cracked up. 20 feet away, they were listening to this conversation. They crack up as well. And she said, You know, in that moment, I knew... This is where I belonged. I knew I would be okay. And I just want you to know what a difference you made in my life. And Drew Dudley was stunned. She turned to start to walk away, and then she stopped and said, Oh, by the way, that young man you gave the sucker to, we're still dating four years later. 
Andrew Dudley says then, a year and a half later, he got an invitation to their wedding. And here's the kicker. Drew Dudley says, you know, I racked my brains and I can't remember that experience for anything. He says to think that what might have been the most important thing he's ever done in anybody's life and he doesn't even remember it. What does that tell us about everyday ordinary leadership? So you're welcome to do what you want with this sucker. You can eat it, or you might hang on to it. And when you see an opportunity to say something positive in somebody's life, who knows, you just might make their day. And sometimes you might even make their life. So that's what God does. I think that story reflects well. The God who takes the contributions of Shipra and Pua and Jochebed, and even though they may not be important, he makes sure they're recorded for us to remember 3,300 years later because he has that power to take those seemingly insignificant acts of courage and mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness, and he puts it together to achieve his amazing purposes like Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for Shipra and Pua and Jochebed. We thank you for all those behind-the-scenes people because most of the time that's who we are. May we never underestimate the chance for us to change this world, to stand up and share the love that you intend, to speak out when we need to speak, to offer your mercy when it's needed. This is our hope and prayer through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. Amen.